Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. BTS Podcast is a podcast where I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. On this episode, I had the complete joy of speaking to Tiffany Woods, who is a writer and strategist that leverages her background in engineering to apply systems thinking to operations and her writing pitching processes. Just as a heads up, we experienced a power outage and an internet outage during this, so there's a couple breaks in the conversation, so please be patient with us. This was also recorded very early on in the pandemic. I think it was March or perhaps April when we spoke, so if some stuff seems a little outdated, you know why. This conversation opened me up to quite a few different people who provide resources and writers, which I will shout out at the end of the podcast. What attracted me to Tiffany in particular, besides her comedic tweets, follow her at Tiff from the Six. you can find the link in the description of this episode, is the type of story she writes and her perspective. She's interviewed Brittany Packnett, who is one of my heroes. She's written about dating and black womanhood, the joy of weighted blankets, and so much more for a variety of publications, including Vox, The Tempest, and Education Pioneers, Broadly, RIP, and so many more. She is also in the process of relaunching her podcast, Spill It, and I am absolutely thrilled for everyone to hear what she is discussing. She's having some really fascinating conversations around privilege. I think that there is a very high possibility I'll be on it, so I highly recommend you look her up, follow her, and keep your eyes open for the launch. In this conversation, Tiffany shares how she pitches, what she includes, and for easy reference, these will be listed on my Medium. You can also find them on LinkedIn. I'll be tweeting about them on my Twitter and the podcast Twitter and um, other platforms. If you want to skip forward to those, they're around 11 minutes and 15 seconds in to the podcast. And then again, we dig into more advice for writing and pitching around 32 minutes and 30 seconds in. Like I said, um, follow me on Medium and look these up for easy reference. I know it's very annoying sometimes if you are a checklist person to go back and listen to an audio conversation. If you'd like to support this podcast, which I would greatly appreciate, easy ways to do that are reviewing this on the Apple Podcast app. It helps immensely. Share this with your friends who might find it interesting if they are writers or want to be writers. And if you want to become a monthly supporter or even just a one-time supporter of the podcast, you can do so at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. Huge thank you to Idris and Camillo for their monthly support and shout out to Ben who provided the music for this and recently shot me some money on Venmo to thank me for, to just uh, help the production of this podcast. So I really appreciate it, Ben. If you feel compelled to do the same because you don't want another monthly subscription, please do. I'm just at Lene-Cook on Venmo. Your money is always welcome and you will get a shout out. Other free, easy, and mutually beneficial ways, well, sort of free, but kind of free, you can support this podcast are by using my promo codes for the services that make my life better and hopefully they make yours better too. If you want to invest in the stock market but don't want to navigate those decisions yourself, I highly recommend Acorns. I've used it for years and I'm super happy with the returns. Just use acorns.com slash invite slash L33KZP. I know it's not very sexy yet. I have also linked it in the description of this podcast episode. One of my other favorite services is Hotel Tonight. I'm a huge fan and have used them for years. You can use LCOOK61 when you sign up and you will save on your first Hotel Tonight booking. I am a total sucker for good loyalty programs and theirs is one of my favorites as far as hotel booking sites go. If none of these sound good, 
That's fair. Guess what everyone loves? Well, not everyone, I guess, but a massage. You can see the description of this episode for more of my favorites, including Soothe and Instacart. Use LZLRZ to have a mas- massage therapist come to you via Soothe. Be sure to follow this podcast on social platforms for updates and insights learned during the conversation. It also just helps the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I'm super excited to have on Tiffany Woods today. She is a writer and strategist, and now she is the, you are like the head of operations for Kashana Palmer. Is that correct? Yes. The operations manager. Operations manager. Beautiful. (laughs) So we have a lot to talk about. I think it seems like you've been doing writing the longest. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. I've been doing it. I I go between like how long I say I've been doing it, but probably since I graduated college. So probably around like five-ish years. Okay. So let's talk about that first, because I think that that is also something that I just don't get to talk people about enough. So a lot of your work is super personal, which is very brave in my opinion, and really it takes being in touch with yourself. So what was your journey like getting to that place? I think for the most part, it was out of like necessity kind of. After I graduated college, I moved two weeks after graduation to Boston to start work at this tech startup, which ended up being terrible. And I had never been depressed or like had anything like that and just like felt super lonely, like super whatever. And I was like very involved with the Femsplain community and with Amber. Who is amazing, P.S. Who is amazing. Shout out to Amber, creator of Aloba, download it. Um, little free, free promo. Um, but <laughs> became friends with Amber, like got into Femsplain, was really involved on Twitter. It was right around when Mike Brown was murdered and I was worked in, like really involved in just like equity and trying to like learn about myself as a mixed woman who, and now I identify as black, but coming from a time when I grew up and always kind of like differentiating myself it was like oh I'm different because I'm mixed and really just coming into the terms of just like no I'm a black woman who identify like presents as black like I'm being perceived in the world as black and all of my experiences and it and I just really felt like I wanted an outlet to let that out and I was also just like really getting in touch with myself and like my emotions and feelings I've always been a very close not closed off but just like kept my emotions and things very inside like I'm the oldest child like work my mom is a single mom like I have three younger siblings and it was always just kind of like I was the one that was like okay you're doing schoolwork you're going to college like you're doing like it was all like it's like that classic story of like the older kid kind of just having to like put their needs and necessities to the side for the betterment of everyone around them. And at that time I was, it was like the first time I was really alone. Um, and I just like wanted to start writing. I moved to Providence after three months in Boston for a job that I ended up parting ways with right after. So I was unemployed. And during that time I started writing and I just like had a lot of thoughts and feelings and wanted to get it out. And my really good friend at the time, um, was going, was, um, had just graduated with like an angelist degree. So I was like, can you read this? Like I had never shared my writing with anyone. Like I had done it off and on, um, in high school, but it was always just like personal to me. And I was like, I really want to start writing and like, like letting it out there. And like the day that I, um, the day after, like I left the job that I was in, I sat at a Starbucks around the corner from my house and literally just like wrote like four or five different essays, um, all like different, like 
started off like personal, went to music, like went to that, like I just had so many things that I wanted to talk about. And then I, I think like everyone's story of like getting into writing is kind of like you get into that personal place because it's what you kind of know you can, you can talk about yourself the easiest and you can um right, not everyone but for me it was that branch of just like okay you can write about your experience you can write about what you're feeling and just be really raw having no training in like writing or going to school for that um it was the easiest way for me because when I started pitching all of my things that were like culture and criticism were getting not accepted. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just like lean into this. So it was a happy accident, but it allowed me to um, get into the part to what I was able to do like recently with writing for like Vox and um, being able and Vice and just being able to like do STEM differently. But yeah, so long winded answer but um before we started recording i was telling lene that i am a rambler i talk a lot that's why my editors are thebomb.com because i will be told to write something with like a thousand words and show up with like 1800 and be like sorry <laughs> like can you <laughs> edit this down and i'm the same way talking so <laughs> yeah i am very similar and have a tendency especially with writing, like anyone who has a very traditional editing background or like really sticks to grammatical rules has always been like every sentence you write is a read on sentence. <laughs> yep. And okay. I'm like, but this is how I would say it in one sentence. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you don't need all these commas. And I'm like, but that's where you take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop and get myself together. And, and yep. Same. So with writing, what is the process like for getting pieces with a publication? Because you've written for, like you said, several. You've written for OK Player, Vox, She Thinks, Broadly, like so many. How do you, do you write the story and then send them that? Do you pitch them a concept and then they agree to a rate? Like how does that process work? Almost all of my pieces for those articles, I or blog, blog, whatever you want to call it, pieces, I literally found about found out about their call for pitches on Twitter. Anyone that wants to start writing, honestly, Twitter is your jam because there is always a call for pitches. Literally for all of them, I found that out on Twitter. And I would go and just like look at the website, like what are they about, especially for OK Player, like I've never written about music professionally or for getting paid. So that was something that I was very nervous, but I wanted to take that chance with. And when I had first pitched, they were looking for um, a, a combination of like music, but also how it goes with mental health. And so it was like their theme for that month. We ended up missing the month, the theme month by like a couple of days because I was having like a really hard mental health time. The irony. Yeah, right. And <laughs> the irony because I was talking, the point of my piece was talking about how Frank Ocean's album Blonde got me through a panic attack. So we were able to just push it back a couple of months and then put, do it for the um, anniversary of the album date, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, so I almost all the time, I will just think about what I the what the publication is looking for do a lot of research on what they do a lot of the times it's a publication that I read a lot or something that I already have familiarity with and then we'll just like put down a bunch of ideas and thoughts on a paper and then the ones that I think 
are deemed a little bit better than the other, the one that I think that I can actually get some meat out of, I'll put a pitch out and then I'll wait for the reply. So most of the time, like I said, I go for calls for pitches. So I don't send a ton at one time because it's usually very specific. Like in a lot of them that I have responded to call for pitches, it's like a theme. So like for Box, it was the... um the goods is a branch off of that. And they're all talking about like how things that you have to buy in this capitalist word like affect you. And so I wrote about buying a weighted blanket. So they all are very specific. And I think that is what I like about writing. And I've noticed is that aside from the personal writing that I do, I really like having a specific call to action and being able to go off of that and use my creativity and my idea. I, ideation to come up with different pitches and to go out there because sometimes you can get pigeonholed and you can just like keep thinking and pitching the same ideas and then you just get rejected a lot which is what was happening to me what was happening to me and once I started looking out for just random call for pitches and pitching random ideas is when I started to see them being picked up a lot more and I was able to get into these publications that were at a dream for me five years ago when I first started. And now I'm like, oh yeah, I have that. So yeah, that's pretty much how, how I go through it. I have a lot of like more personal things that I keep to the side that are like, I want to someday like do a like chat book or something like that. But it's like, I kind of was going really hard with the personal stuff and I wanted to try to transition to more like culture criticism so that I could not be stuck in that one bucket, but being able to mesh them. So like talking about music and anxiety, like talking about a way to blanket and anxiety and the mental health care um, system in America and healthcare in America and bringing in all those different pieces, I think is like the perfect like niche for me, if you will. Yeah. And you have that piece with Brittany Packnett, mm-hmm. who is like my hero. Yes. <laughs> I love her so mm-hmm. much. And I listen to Pod Save the People all mm-hmm. the time and I like shove it down other people's throats <gasps> because it's so mm-hmm. good. I love Brittany and I was so excited when I was able to interview her for Broadly. Um, and that was another, it was a call for pitches. It was literally, I saw someone post like, hey, and I felt so I'm a woman of color. So I follow woman of color Twitter, um, woman of color or people of color tweets or pitches. Oh, I can't think of it. I can send it to a link if you do like links and stuff in the Yeah, okay. yeah, I would love to yeah. link to it in the It's really awesome because they will um retweet any call for pitches and then they always usually ask for the rates. So when you're going in and pitching, you know what they're looking for. So I believe that that was one of the ones that I saw and it was just like, oh, like we're looking for interviews for this series and we want to talk to like really dope people and I was like, um, Brittany Packnett a hundred percent. She had just been on the list for, um, I had done a editorial internship with the Tempest the year before, and we had had her on our like top, I think it was like 40 or 50 influential people of the year. And so I was like, she is so dope. Like that would be so awesome. And she was so nice and so great. I really enjoyed the conversation and being able to put that out there before Broadly was shuttered. RIP still like awesome. But it was, and that was like a super big thing for me too, because I had read Broadly for so long and I was so stoked to be able to have a piece under that umbrella company. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing to have been a part of when you're like a fan of something Mm -hmm. that much 
it feels so good to like have contributed even mm-hmm. if it ends just knowing that like it you yes. weren't too oh late my God. there's so many that I'm like oh my goodness like there was a, a, a publication recently that Shutter and I like really wanted to write for them and I was so mad at myself because I've been having such a like really hard mental health time and it's been like really affecting my ability to like write and pitch and like stick to deadlines so I'm like instead of ruining relationships with potential editors like I don't even I haven't even been pitching because I'm like I know for a fact I won't be able to hit any kind of deadline that they're going to set for me and they close and I was like oh I'm super bummed but it just kind of like pushes me now to be like okay you're having a rough time, but you really like to write and you are missing out on these opportunities. So it's that like, like catch 22 of being like, what are you going to let affect you more? Like the mental health or like the, the kind of like opportunity of like missing the fear of missing out, like the FOMO of that. So I'm trying to balance Mm -hmm. that right now, especially with everything that is going on. It is a weird thing to contemplate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I definitely, I used to give myself no space to process Mm -hmm. at all. And then eventually I hit a wall where I was like, okay, I'm literally dropping the ball in every department of my life. Mm -hmm. I need to like, and like clearly my mental health isn't getting better. I need to commit Mm -hmm. to less and like step back and look at like, what do I actually need to do? Like what are the bare necessities to keep my life running and to be able to just pay rent and have clean clothes and like some kind of nutrients in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Like what are the things I have to do for that? Because I was spread so thin across helping just so many people with their projects that I saw potential in and was passionate about. And then my own job and then my own creativity and then trying to stay like active and fit. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I was like, there was a day where I was like, oh, sleep is actually way more important than waking up at 5 a.m. to get a Mm -hmm. workout in. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, you will feel way better and make way better decisions if you prioritize sleep. And stupidly enough, it took me reading, there was that cover story with Jane Fonda in like W Magazine or Interview Mm -hmm. Magazine, I think, in like 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was never even a huge Jane Fonda fan then. I was just stoked to see like an Mm -hmm. older lady on the cover because we're all sort of taught that we just sort of like lose hope and value. You just out after 30 apparently and now it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, like once you're... Once you're like boobs aren't up to your neck and that you're not as like potentially capable of like making a baby, your values Mm -hmm. done is what we're taught. Like then you just become like old and unattractive and no one will ever sleep with you or pay you well. (laughs) So that interview, they were like, what is like the number one most important thing in your life in terms of like staying healthy? And she was like, I always get at least eight hours of sleep every night. And that's when I started reflecting and like remembering all those things they taught you in biology about how your body is really resetting like everything mm-hmm. from your ears to your digestion and like all these things that I had been neglecting because for years, like from the time, like I moved out three or four days after I turned mm-hmm. 18 and yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could not get uh, out quick enough. I was yeah. like, great, good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, 
I probably slept on average between four and six hours a day Mm -hmm. for like the following seven years. Yeah. And so, well, maybe, maybe less than that, maybe five years, but it was definitely not healthy. And it took a few like near traumatizing events and like several times of me almost falling asleep at the wheel Mm -hmm. to go like, wait, this is too much. Like you need to rest more. Um, well, and initially my response was to just over caffeinate mm-hmm. all the time. And then there was a point where for months I'd been waking up every day with like, and I had a box of five outer energy drinks under my bed and I would just like down one at the start oh of my, my day. Goodness. Yeah. And that's after a while of that, I was like, oh, this is a little insane. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is, um, okay behavior. No, I don't, I hate saying like normal behavior, but I don't know if that was. <laughs> It's certainly not <laughs> healthy, healthy behavior. behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Which yes. should be the goal. Like, what is normal? True. Yeah. Right? I like, hate who things. cares? And also, I've never liked normal people. Same. So why do I want to be one of them? I uh, completely agree. I think there's I think it's like on OKCupid where they say, like, what are you like no like what what, what would you rather describe have people describe you as? Like normal or like weird or something and I was like weird like if someone said that I was normal I'd be like that is an insult like I would legitimately take that as an insult because I don't like like normal is annoying like norm I normal I feel like no, it judging. sounds like, like I feel but, like when you say something is normal when yes. I think of normal I think of like a white person in a cul-de-sac like that is legitimately what I think of as normal yeah. because of the way that we've been socialized. Like I don't think anything about like me or my family, like being a mixed person, like being like twenty, like nothing about me screams normal. So I'm just like, keep that away from me. <laughs> yeah, I think of like when I think of normal, I think of someone who literally just goes to Costco and like buys shirts in bulk and yeah. just those like shitty jeans that they have there, and then just sort of like whatever shoe is available. Mm-hmm. Like a brown and- loafer, but not a cute one. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Or, like or a, rock or a dad new balance. Yeah. Or a dad new balance, but the ones that you can get at just like payless. No yes. shades of payless, but the ones that like it takes no decision making on your part. Because I have a pair of new balances that are fly, but yes. I did not get them from payless and I did <laughs> not get them without thinking clear, like hard. Consideration. Yes, like exactly. you weren't like normal to me as somebody who just like dresses for like oh I can't be nude in public my body's normal so I probably sh- shouldn't be nude like I don't oh my like God. I don't love my body I wear like I just imagine someone who buys their underwear in packs oh yep mm-hmm. <laughs> like that Great. to me is like and they like they have Wonder Bread because that's what they've always had like it's not because mm-hmm. they feel strongly about it. It's just what yep. they go to, like mm-hmm. they buy Sunny D because that's what they've always had, not oh because they stand yeah. by it. Like yep. I just yep. agree. Mm, it it just is like the group of people that you see when you walk past like any generic tourist destination. <laughs> yes, a bucket hat as well, a green army fatigue <laughs> one with the string. Yeah, like but, yeah, a bucket hat, but not, but not exactly sexy. no, because all of these things we're saying are good when it's not being done or used by a normal person. Because I'm like, um, yeah. when I grew up, we were going to Target or Walmart or JCPenney or Kmart to get the underwear in the plastic bag, but it was out of necessity. If my mama could have bought yes. me the good ones from Pink or Victoria's Secret, she would have, but <laughs> she could not. But this Joe Schmo normal person is like, oh yeah, 
give me five whitey tidies, tidy whiteys. That's right. That's just what I do, which is, yeah, which is like, and that's, I agree, because I definitely grew up with underwear in a pack and with pay, like my mom's rule was that um, even if we could afford it, we would not be getting any shoes for me outside of Payless or just a generic brand from Mervyn's or whatever. Like even Mervyn's was mm-hmm. a stretch until my feet stopped growing. Fact. Which fair. is a fair rule. Very fair. Yeah. And I think it taught me some good lessons about learning how to style yourself and like, instead of buying the knockoff of what was cool, just finding something totally mm-hmm. different because you didn't want to be the kid with like the knockoff of like vans, but it was okay to have something like, I remember I got like the boys shoes cause they were cooler and they had a thing that you pressed and they changed Ooh, color Yeah, I with the weird gel mm-hmm. stuff inside. And that was like, okay, at least I'm not getting like, the shitty version of something cool. I'm just getting something different altogether. I envy you because I was a person whose family, a family member bought me like the knockoff Adidas. So instead mm, of having brutal. the full, I think what, how many stripes are on there? Four? There's Ooh. three stripes on there. The knockoffs yep. had four because K-Swiss has yep, five. Because they weren't in the K-Swiss. And I got bullied and not even like really bullied it was just like the cool older people because this was when I was like in middle my school um where I went to school was fifth through twelfth grade so it was like the older Mm. cool high schoolers that were like me in like sixth or seventh grade with like my little like knockoff adidas and not knowing any better just like people laughing and pointing and I'm like what (laughs) and now oh that's that is tough and and that was like when I literally had to tell my mom, I was like, you have to buy me name brand shoes or I will not survive school. And so then it became, I got one pair of sneakers at the start of the year. And then I got a pair of boots or another pair of sneakers when my mom got her tax returns in like February. And so I had two pairs of shoes and almost every year I need a new pair of shoes because they would all be run down. Mm-hmm. Like I remember my favorite pair of Jordans, they were white and then they were like pink and green. They had like the little pink and green accents. I literally wore them to the point where like there was a hole in the bottom. And I think that no one talks about the fact that like when you're a kid, that is such a big, well, people talk about it, but it's always like that one or the other it's like oh I had like every pair or it's like I didn't have any and I'm like it was even worse when you had one pair and then you had to get all of your clothes had to match that pair mm-hmm. because if you got a you could never get a weird color you could never try to be like cool with it because you can't get a pair of like neon orange sneakers and then have to wear them every day you have to get white or black like I could go on and no, on definitely. because it is a real it was a real you thing really and now everyone you have to think it through and I was like 13 and being like okay I have to get this I have to get this and like trying to navigate social circles so that I'm not getting fucking oh sorry I don't know if we can yeah, swear can. but uh not okay cool um not just getting roasted every day like because I was wearing a knock I think I wore those I legitimately I swear to god I think I wore them one maybe two times 
And then I got made fun of and I was like, I'm never like, you cannot make me wear these. Like I told my, I was like, I will not go to school. Yeah. I totally. And then I never wear them that. again. And then I was like, they're bye. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember vividly. Cause I think my feet stopped growing at like a whopping size nine. in Like the fifth mm-hmm. or no, it was sixth grade. And oh, I was able to get like the white and purple etnies. And mm. I, I really thought it through because I was like purple is like, and it was like a decent enough purple, like a deep enough purple that I was like, okay, this will go with enough and it'll look cute with shorts. Like it doesn't cut off at a weird ankle place. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted high top Converse, but the school that I went to, Mm -hmm. I just could tell that it was going to be a problem if I wore them at that school. And and that was my mom's rule Mm. also, is even when my feet stopped growing at the start of every year, I would get a new pair of shoes for school and then my church shoes would always last long enough. So it was always like, as long as I had a wearable pair of church shoes and one pair of school Mm -hmm. shoes. But then when I turned 12, she was like, I think it was like, she would buy me that. I think three pairs of pants, no, two pairs of pants and five shirts. Mm -hmm. And then the rest was up to me because then I was old enough to start babysitting. Oh, yeah. I feel that. But I got lucky because there were neighbors that were older than I was who would give me their hand-me-downs, and then my mom would take them in if they were, like, too big. Mm -hmm. And then my friend – actually, Megan Good lived next door to my best friend. Casual. And so she and I were the same size. Casual. (laughs) That's so cool. I love Megan Good. Literal, like, 90s hottie, like, my – or, like, I guess, like, 2000s, whatever, but, like, Early 2000s, love her. You got served. Or no, not Yeah, you got served. Oh, well, yeah, I had cool. clear heels at inch 12, thanks to Megan Good. <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. We need a podcast episode on you <laughs> to go talk through this. She's lived a life, people. I was like, I looked, and like, and I was like very, I was still my same height, like 5'7 at 12, but I weighed like 95 pounds. And Megan's like oh. pretty short. And so I was like very tiny. So her clothes fit me perfectly. And I was sample size. And then my like a family friend who modeled would always get like sample size clothes and give them to me also. So like nice. I got very lucky because my mom is for sure somebody who strictly to this day shops on like clearance rack and the Goodwill for herself uh-huh. like it's not just so I don't take it per- like it wasn't like one of those things yeah. where your mom looks great and you're like why do I why oh am I stuck with this like you're just like well the worst she doesn't dress up either that's fucked up I I couldn't yeah that's messed up no my mom was the same way like my mom wore like the same she had like the same pants like she just wore jeans and then she had like nice tops for work but on the weekends she was just like in her like hand me down like she would w- get like a shirt from like a run or something and like wear that on the weekends or like to cook so I was like I couldn't be mad because we were actually flyer than my mom so I'm like <laughs> I, I agree that that's like the it's like if a parent does that then that's like a little bit like mm, I have to look at you sideways definitely <laughs> priorities so as you're pitching what is the this is something that has always eluded me when you're pitching a writing piece mm-hmm. is there like some secret pitching format that like people don't know about like how do you pitch something do you literally just send over a word doc and sort of an outline like what does that look like that is such a good question and I'm so happy to be the one to talk about this because when I was starting out I had no idea how to pitch and I just would like look at things and like what like try to see what it was 
um, my first couple of years. I don't know how, like Amber, shout out to them for allowing me to write for Femsplain because I can just imagine my pitch was absolute trash because I had no idea what I was doing. And they were like, we see you, we're going to help, like, we're going to let you do this and like, whatever. Um, but now the way that I pitch is based on a template that I actually got from Alana Matthew on Twitter. Um, follow her. She's really dope. She mm. offers actually this like full pitching guide, like template, um, that you can buy on her website. Yeah. That's and amazing. She had a sale a couple of year- years ago. So I got it like for 50% off. I'm pretty sure it might've been like 15 bucks. Um, because I like I love her writing and I was really interested in like how she got all these pieces. So in there she showed the way that um she did it and how she just like it was either like it was like cold pitches, so like for editors that you've never worked with. And then she also showed like, oh, if you've worked with a a person before like this is how you can do that and so the way that I go about it now I've tweaked it a little bit but the way I do it is I say like hi like I call out immediately in the first um two sentences like who I am like where I am like how old I am what I write about and then I say like I saw your like call for pitches on Twitter or like you said this or like a friend of mine or like someone told me this if we have like a mutual friend or something and then immediately after I just go straight into the pitch I'm like I'm excited to pitch you about these topics or like if it's more than one I usually pitch one um topic to an editor because I used to do a bunch and I have kind of gotten mixed signals from people and like advice is always all over the place so it depends on um what if I think my pitches is like sometimes you just know if your pitch is really strong and you know that it's going to get accepted sometimes when I'm a little like doing a more cold pitch so it's like I came up with the idea before I saw and they didn't do a call for pitches it was just like oh I looked up this editor's name I'll send maybe three um so I'll say like hey I am really excited to potentially work with you on this pitch or these pitches and I'll put it down I always put the potential title of the piece and then I just do a paragraph of what it's going to be about how me writing about it would be good for their organ for their um, publication so like you said like and like I've said a lot of my pieces bring that um, personal aspect to whatever topic it is so if it's talking about money if it's talking about music like I kind of bring I circumvent into there like how it affects me so like with the okay player piece I was like oh like I actually had this experience with Frank Ocean's Blonde album where I listened to it on repeat for an eight-hour flight to California would really like to be able to dive deeper into the musical aspect of why that is and how his choices on the album affected me and how and then I also brought in like a musical therapy and thinking about how that so I always try to um bring in that personal piece and why my angle on it is better than someone else's and it's usually always that kind of just like like small tweak of like oh me bringing in the musical theory the musical theory or like bringing in like oh for the Vox piece with the um weighted blanket like how I got this um my how it was helping me my experience with using anti-anxiety um, medication and then being off of it and then following it up with just um I share at least three links to different pieces and then I also share that I've written before and then I share my portfolio on contently that I have I'm still needing to make my own website so that is a um tbd but i i always do like you can i i say like oh i primarily write in like the mental health like culture pop culture space 
here is where you can find my portfolio. And here are three pieces that I've written that are, um, that either complement this potential piece or just if it's like completely out there. So like for the okay player one, I had never written about music. So I was like, I put in like my top examples of pieces that I've for like the biggest um, publications that I've written for just to give me that like social proof of that, uh, of my ability to write. Um, and then I just like ended like, if you would like to talk, I, I put in my number, no one has ever called me. That's like, a, I think that that's like a, just like a, um, like giving them the option, but I just say like, I hope to hear from you soon. And then I always like, if I don't hear from them in like a week or two, which I never used to do, but now I a hundred percent follow up because I've gotten two pieces um, accepted after I followed up with them because it had, the initial email had gotten lost in their inbox. So always follow up, but never like within the same week, like at least wait a week or a week and a half to follow up because you will look crazy out here if you follow up after two days because oh certainly we don't have the time for that but yeah always follow up <laughs> if you don't hear back because and sometimes when you follow up they won't even get back to the follow-up but at least you tried <laughs> yeah definitely at least you floated it to the top of their inbox my mm-hmm. follow-up strategy is that when I send the initial email I put a calendar reminder mm-hmm. for like the opposite time of day the following week mm-hmm. So, like, if I send it Monday midday, mm-hmm. I will send it, like, early Monday or Tuesday morning of the next week. That way, in case, like, midday is not a good time for them, that at the start of their day they see it. Or if I send it at the start of the day and they haven't seen it potentially, mm-hmm. is that then, hopefully, if I send it, like, end of day the following week on, like, Monday or Tuesday, then maybe that's, like, a better time for them to check emails. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. Maybe I've overthought it. No, that's smart. I think that I, I've actually read that recently that like, if you just put a calendar invite, cause I will sometimes just, if I get in the mood to pitch a ton, I'll just like pitch a bunch of different outlets and then I'll forget. I actually just like, just created a pitch tracker um like a couple of months ago I haven't really been pitching but I at least have the bones of it um because I realized that that was something that professional people do and I was not doing that I would literally just have it in my inbox and I have an email tracker so they would be like my email tracker would do the little nudge and it'd be like you sent this email five days ago would you like to follow up and I'm just like oh yes I did do that okay and then I won't actually do that on the fifth day but I'll wait and then it'll still be there and then I'll do it so method to the madness indeed shout out to gmail I tried so that is your writing work Mm -hmm. and you are also a strategist Mm -hmm. and so I've had a few strategists on here and one question that I ask everybody is what do you think makes a good strategist that's hard um I can answer for myself what I think makes me a good strategist I think is my ability to see both the big picture and the like very small details and know when it is important to put one or the over the other or when to focus on what also having my back so I went to school for engineering and business so I have a dual degree and that like very analytical um 
that very analytical background, I think really helps me because I do have that creative outlet. Like I wanted to go to school for actually like, I wanted to go for like music production. And then I wanted to go, I like wanted to go music production. I wanted to go for like filmmaking. I wanted to go for like fashion business. Like I've always been like that super creative, like had that passion. Um, and then with the writing it allowed or like with the strategy it allows me to bring both of those they're gonna be like oh this is a really cool creative idea and then also this is how we're gonna put it into fruition and make it happen and i'm a stickler for proving my points with numbers which is because of my background like it's like if the numbers do not say that this is a viable option it is not a thing um and it has proven sometimes to a fault of mine because clients don't like that because they like to think that everything is great and everything that they're doing is great and even when you show them the numbers like I always have been like a person that's like if the numbers tell you that something is not working you should be okay with changing it and some people even when they know that it's not working with the numbers they will still fight to the death for what they want. And then that's when you know that you just have to bow out. So I have like a very, like, I'm able to just be like, hey, in the beginning, I base everything off of numbers. Like any recommendations that I make, I'm going to back it up and be able to show you why the past experience, like the past data, the current data and the future projections. And that's how I'm going to make recommendations. And that's how I'm going to work. And if that's not okay with you, let me know now because it'll save us both a lot of time. And like, I don't like wasting people's time um, or my own. So I, I think that having that ability to be able to set boundaries in working uh, for strategists is very important because you can get very into the weeds with people or you can also get like pulled out if you're working with a creator, if you work, I have a lot of the times worked with startups with, with small businesses and they have those exaggerated um, expectations that they want to have. Yes. And you have to be very real. And I think that that is the, what I have learned and like being in different like social media groups and just like professional settings is like there are people who are going to like float those dreams just so that they can get paid. And then there are like actual strategists and actual business people that are gonna, who believe in the work and actually like take pride in what they do. And they care about their recommendations. They care about their name and like their expertise and they're gonna like shoot it straight. And I think that like that is what will make you a good strategist because in the end you're making money, but are you exploiting someone else's non-strated, like they don't have a strategic mindset. So they're looking at it through rose colored glasses and you as a strategist have to be the one to put really straight markers into place. Definitely. It is sometimes hard when you're working with clients, especially small businesses who aren't used to sort of like looking themselves in the mirror in that way to level set expectations. And, and one thing that I have leaned on because I've heard other people use it before that I found really helpful is like, mm -hmm. clearly there was a pain point for your organization and that's why we're talking. Because mm -hmm. you wouldn't be talking to me as a contractor or consultant or potential hire if you thought you were already doing a good job. Yeah. Which sort of helps 
I've found like remind people like, Hey, I'm not attacking what you're doing. I'm just trying to make it better Mm -hmm. because I do understand how also when you're that close to something and you haven't had time to step away from it. And like all of us have moments of wisdom and then we get back into our like very in the moment feelings and those conflict a lot of times where like in the moment we might be upset, we might feel attacked. And then once we have some space, we're like, oh yeah, there was a reason I reached out. And like, why am I trying to do it all and spread myself so thin across these things? Mm -hmm. Like allow people to help me and respect that people are good at their jobs. Yep. That is, that is very true. I was in a very toxic work environment where the strategy and my expertise and my business sense were not respected by the owner of the business. And instead of acknowledging what I was bringing to the table and like acknowledging that like the chance, the changes that I were making that I was making were actually making a difference and bettering the company. It turned into like a attacking me personally because they couldn't attack my work or like what my, my, um, my results, because they were good. They decided to attack like my personality or like my personal saying like, Oh, you pushed back or like you weren't nice. And it's like, no, I was nice. You just are mad because what I'm telling you to do is not what you want to hear. And so that's, that's the thing that I find really hard and it's why like I try to always have a day job and like a nine to five because I am someone that as much as I like care about what I'm doing and the work that I'm doing, I can't be in a situation where it's like toxic, where I'm not being respected. And a lot of the times when you go into those like freelance opportunities, um, it doesn't work out for, for me. I've had like really bad luck. Um, some good luck, like with Amber and with, I have like current clients now, but like some in the past, I've just had such bad experiences and it's not I don't like to place blame on anyone but it's like it is because of that like you do not have the mindset of like a strategist and you don't respect the strategist like recommendations there's no place for them or me the strategist in your team because what am I being paid to do really yeah definitely and additionally what does being nice have to do with how good I am at my job yep like That is something that I rarely, if ever, hear men tell, like, held to. Yep. And with women, it's something where I've definitely been told, like, well, you're kind of cold or Mm -hmm. you rub people the wrong way. And it's like, yep. Literally, the only time that I know of that I have heard of any man getting reprimanded for similar things is one person specifically I can remember who was making like very sexual jokes and he was in like a Mm -hmm. senior leadership position and that was just something that I know he got spoken to about because he'd made them in my direction Mm -hmm. and so I got pulled aside like hey did it make you uncomfortable when so and so whatever and I could already tell at that point that that person had made up their mind about him and Mm -hmm. I was like look I know him outside of work. So no, it didn't make me personally uncomfortable. However, it was very uncomfortable for the like temperature of the room Mm -hmm. and totally not appropriate. And what I don't like is how it makes other people look at me 
Mm-hmm. Because that does take people out of the setting and then maybe look at you as like after someone makes a sexual joke about you, like it makes people look at you differently and see you in a different light. And so yep. that bothered me. Yep. I don't think that was the long-winded answer that she wanted, but <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what she got. Yeah. And then another time it took this guy that I worked with literally making two coworkers cry before anyone spoke to him and then I got put to work on his team and they got moved over to mine because I was told that like, which it was like comical to me, but I was told that like, look, we know you have a strong personality and that you'll feel free to manage up and let him know when he's crossing lines. And in my head, I was like, why the hell did you not just fire him? Yeah. So it's now your job to be basically responsible for him and his actions because you can handle it right yeah that mm-hmm. that has been my experience i've haven't ever been with a like worked in a setting where like a man was like making anyone uncomfortable like making like like sexual advances or anything like that but it is like that that's super intense like i've been in situations where like a guy is just like very intense like mean like not nice but everyone is just like, oh, he's so good. Like, he raises so much money, blah, blah, blah. He can basically be a dick to everyone, and that's okay. But legit, like I said earlier, I was literally reprimanded during a, a work meeting when I had flown eight hours in a red eye, not slept because I had anxiety, and then got my period. And when I was going to the bathroom a lot of times, it was a problem. And instead of being asked if I was okay or whatever it was oh to we have to have like a performance meeting with Tiffany because this one time that she did something is like necessary but this these people can like go about gallivanting or just being straight asshole assholes and it'll be fine mm, I love a double standard um, yeah, exa- exactly. Double standard. It's it's very bad. And like I I realize sometimes that I talk as if I've been working for like twenty years, and I legitimately have only been working for five. But I was burnt out at twenty five. Like I legitimately hit a wall after three years of putting my like mental health and body just like on the back burner and just giving everything to a company that the same company that did that to me and who had no respect for me in the end of, at the end of the day. And I had to be like, Oh, like that was my switch of being like, Oh, eat the rich. Capitalism is a scam. (laughs) I do not mess with these people and I will never put a company over my mental health or my well being ever again in life. And having a work-life balance is so important to me. And I tell everyone that, and I always preface it with my experience because again, you, it feels like you have to explain yourself why you have these feelings. So I'm always just like, yeah, at 25, I was burnt out. My mom had a stroke and I had to move back to Buffalo. And the job that I had been working for for three years would not allow me to work remotely, even though multiple work people worked remotely. My boss denied it for me and that was when I was like they do not care about me as a person they care about them yeah definitely 
It is something I've reflected on why our generation burns out so much because I don't recall this really happening with my parents. Granted, mm-hmm. my parents also picked like my both my dads, like they picked careers that are there was just clear ways to move up. So mm-hmm. with us, like first of all, what we do didn't exist 15 years ago. So people don't know how to grow mm-hmm. our careers or advance us. Like yep. we don't know how to do that because we've never had a clear idea of what it looks like to be promoted because that looks different for every organization. Like it's just very mm-hmm. nebulous. And we come from this weird generation of people that their reason of why they're quote unquote successful, like whatever that means is because they gave their lives to this company and it was worth it over X amount of time. And it was like, yeah, maybe it was worth it to you, but my job's not paying me that well. Like my first job out of college, like they really treated me in San Francisco. Like I should be very grateful for 50,000 a year, which Mm -hmm. in San Francisco in like, 2011 or whenever it was, it still wasn't very much money. And so it was a really weird thing to have to push for 55 because I'd been managing a production company before that where I was making more than that. So it was like taking a weird step back financially to pursue a career in something I was more passionate about. But Mm -hmm. it just... I don't know. It's very, companies definitely expect way more of you than they used to. Like I know definitely my grandparents worked normal eight hour work days and had an hour long lunch. Like it was not unheard of to really take a lunch break and they weren't available once they were home and were expected to, like I had a manager who once reprimanded me because when I got to work at like nine or nine 30, that I had not already first thing in the morning responded to comments on the Facebook page. And so her expectation then became that when I woke up, I would go through and do community management first thing in the morning before I came to work. And at that age, I was like, I was 23 and I just didn't have the mindset to go like, hey, no, actually that's not appropriate. Like Mm -hmm. if it's that you want to start paying me to be here at 830 Mm -hmm. or, you know, I can start at 8 a.m. and leave at 4 p.m., we can do that. But I just was like, okay, Mm -hmm. and then took it and dealt with it. And so, yeah, it's just very weird. I think expectations from our employers are all over the place. And the really the only place I've ever had my time respected was at like really large organizations and specifically only in Seattle. Mm. Like when I moved to Seattle, every company there was very respectful at least like verbally mm-hmm. with time and like really respectful of weekends and taking vacations. Like when you were on PTO, you were on PTO. Mm-hmm. Anywhere else I worked had been like acted like you were crazy for wanting a raise or something. (sighs) Okay. Well, for listeners, just so you know, we got cut (laughs) off somewhere in our conversation because of a power outage. How has work been for you during this delightful time? (sighs) (laughs) It has been so hard and I feel very dumb saying that I feel like it's the equivalent of like when you're like out living your life and and someone is like well you know there's people dying like Mm. it's that kind of thing where it's like I feel stressed at work and I feel 
very privileged to one have a job same Two, be like not my pay wasn't cut like my hours weren't cut like we're putting on a conference like a free virtual conference to make up for the in-person conference we weren't able to go to because I was supposed to be in Baltimore actually right now. I was supposed to be in Baltimore yesterday until um, actually from the 27th until the 1st for a conference. And so all this stuff is wrong. And then I'm like, there are people dying. Literally, I have friends from high school that are like on the front lines in New York City working at like Mount Sinai Hospital. My boss actually was tested and was positive whilst with had having COVID nineteen, um, wow, eighty. So is she asymptomatic? That has it. No, she has it. She just had a very mild case. Um, she had the fever. She had like a cough. She lost her sense of smell for like a week and a half, and then she has like the fatigue and stuff. So she's like just tired. But the first like she had it for a week, and they the test like she got tested on a Tuesday. She didn't get the test results until like Sunday and they told her. So she had just been like, we, I was like, well, maybe it's just the flu. Cause she had so much energy. She was like, it was a very low fever. Like she broke the fever and then it was like very low. Like she wasn't, didn't have a high cough, like was whatever. And then she was one of those people that felt fine the first week. And then the second week it was when like, she like woke up and she had like pressure on her chest. And then she was like really sick um, over the weekend, last weekend. And then was slowly getting better. And so now I actually just talked to her. She has her sense of smell back. The fever is gone and everything. But now she just has the cough. So it's like going on and off. And her doctor was basically like, I can tell you that you might start to feel better in two weeks, but they don't even know. Yeah. So just honest. Like I appreciate that that level of honesty because Mm -hmm. I think otherwise I understand that some people like false hope. However, Mm -hmm. with something like this, where it's not 100% terminal, like if you have pancreatic cancer, give that person some hope, like not enough that they don't write a will, but like Mm -hmm. enough that they can at least hopefully have a positive attitude. Mm -hmm. However, with this sort of thing, I think the false hope sometimes lets people push themselves and like that is not a time to uh, compromise your immune system and like overwork Mm -hmm. and earlier by the way when I said good it was in response to she had mild symptoms not not like oh good (laughs) I I felt guilty the whole time Listeners, she has a she has a conscious. It was just a delay in reaction because of the videos. I feel like that's gonna mess up a lot of things where people are gonna be talking about really terrible news, but then it's gonna be followed by good news. And you're gonna be like, oh my god, that's so awesome! It's like I literally just told you that my cat died, but okay, thank you. Right, <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. like, oh, you took the you took the week off. That's wonderful. Oh, it's because oh. something horrible happened. Never oh, mind. Perfect. Bad thank response. You for, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's really tricky. And I really feel for event organizers who have to ship things around. Like I can't even imagine, especially for smaller companies, like, and I imagine it was equally awful for things like South by Southwest and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But what were, as the operations manager, I imagine this quickly fell onto your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And so did you make like a tracking document of like what all needed to change? Like what were the, what was sort of the domino effect of this for you? Yeah, that's a great question. It all honestly happened in a blur. So I started my job on March 7th. I mean, March 2nd. What I a time. In, 
yeah, what a time to be alive in this climate. I started my job on March 2nd. I went to New York City actually to meet my boss because it's like 100% remote and she's in New York City. Was there from the 6th through the 8th. And then literally that next week was when things started to go haywire. And so I myself was freaking out because I was like, oh, I was just in the epicenter of this. Like, I'm lucky that I didn't take the, so like, I was very like out of the mega center of everything. Like I literally just went to the hotel, was with my boss and then like went to dinner twice. That's Mm -hmm. it. And then I took Uber, like I took ride sharing back and forth to the airport, but like I was due diligent and everyone made fun of me. And I just want to say, do not make fun of people who have anxiety or have like, like ADD, like ADD, whatever, who are like in these hard times are doing things to make themselves feel better because I wore my mask that I bought last year when I started riding the bus for work because I wanted to like protect myself during the winter times, like on the bus, I wore my mask. I put in my Lysol wipes into a baggie so that I could wipe everything down on the plane. And then I also had hand sanitizer that I used every, like every second of the day. And I did not get it. That's just a little rant, (laughs) sidestep. But anyway. No, it's fair um, though, because I think a lot of people don't. A, in New York City especially, it is valid to have concerns. Like in New York, San Francisco, anywhere where public transportation is how everybody Mm -hmm. gets around, like those are German virus epicenters. And like, I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but I will say that dating a New Yorker made me, like I always thought that I was very germ aware, but Mm -hmm. dating a New Yorker, I was like, at first, I was like, seriously? And then I was like, oh, you are definitely correct. Mm-hmm. And there is no harm in always having sand hypnotizer, washing your hands for the solid 30 seconds every time. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like you touched anything. Yep. Um, and then like, like his big thing was like changing your clothes from indoor to outdoor clothes, mm-hmm. which I'd sort of already done, but I would take my time doing it. And he was like, no, do not sit down on our furniture with your outdoor clothes. Yep. Yeah. And that's a thing for my mom. Like my mom grew up in the suburbs, but like then she moved to Buffalo and she lived in New York City for a little bit. And that was like instilled in us. Like you don't wear your shoes inside. Like you take them off at the door. Like before you sit on the bed or like on the couch, like the couch was a little bit iffier because it was kind of just like that was like in the main but if you were in your room yeah and we're kids exactly um but you take everything off like now when I get home I immediately take off all my clothes and like put them in the hamper and then like put on my hangout clothes that aren't even my pajamas they're just my not outside clothes um but yeah I was like people were making fun of me and I was one of the people who was starting to read about coronavirus when it was getting, when it was really wild in China and actually Amanda Mall, the writer um, for the Atlantic, she was also someone that was like, started quarantining a week before everyone else. And I was like, once I got back from New York city, I was like, oh, shit is about to hit the fan. I literally didn't leave my apartment for like a week. And then that Friday, the 12th, I went out because my friend was having like really hard time at work. And so our group of friends were like, we're going to go out. And I was like, listen, I will go out. It needs to be a very large space. And if there are a lot of people there, I will go home because I don't want to be around a ton of people. And I was like, I trust you guys with whatever. But I was like, because in Buffalo, there hadn't been any cases yet. I was like, so it's more than likely, if anything, I might have it. But I was like, 
if you guys want me to come, like, that's fine. And we like, that's what we did. We were like at a table by ourselves, like got food, got drinks, but that was it. And I still had hand sanitizer. Every time I went to the bathroom, I was like washing my hands thoroughly. And then like using my shirt, I was like wearing this like crop top. I was literally using my shirt to open the door because they had just like the hand dryer. So I was like, no, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. And then that the 12th is literally the last time I was in public. And it's the 29th. Yeah. So I've technically been um, quarantining for 17 days right now um, on the 29th. But, um, and so with all that being said, it was like, that was like my personal life. But then at work, my, we were planning on going to the AFP conference in Baltimore, which is like a 3,500 person conference. And we, were, we had launched this collaborative um, the Rooted Collaborative, and we were having our first pop-up event. My entire first week of work was planning that event, getting the quotes, like getting like doing the event manager, like op stuff, like all the logistics. And on that Monday, we were like getting um, pricing and like stuff. And we had solidified a place that was free. And then a couple days after, we got this gorgeous place on like a rooftop hotel. And they were like, but you have to put a deposit down and you have to rent the room. And at that point, places were already starting to cancel. South by Southwest had been canceled that Sunday. And so by that Monday, I told my boss, I was like, listen, if you want my professional opinion, this is going to get canceled. We do not need to put money down on anything. I was like, we already have a free thing. And I also told her, I said, I understand that you thought I was a little over the top last week with like all my hands, like whatever protection. I was like, I personally would not feel comfortable traveling at the end of March mm -hmm. because of everything going on. And my boss is dope. She was like, I understand. She was like, I don't know if it's going to get canceled. She was like, they're saying that it's going to be a fine, but like, I would never ask you to put your health at jeopardy, especially like if you don't feel comfortable. So like, that's fine. She was like, if you can do all the logistics and everything from Buffalo, I will get it on the ground. Literally by that Friday, it was canceled. So all my first week of work, everything that I did was basically no, it was like for not. And then, um, when that was canceled, my boss literally that Friday night, I was cooking dinner and she called me after like at like seven o'clock and was like, so I have this crazy idea. And I was like, what? And she was like, let's do a virtual conference and a virtual like pop-up happy hour. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to kill me. And I was like, oh my goodness. And mind you, this is before she was sick. So like if she had been sick and come up with this idea, I would have been like, let's not do it. But legitimately she came up with the idea, started reaching out to to speakers, started doing all this stuff. And then she got sick that next week. So it was like that time of like, just really adrenaline trying to figure out how we were going to like still connect with our audience and connect with our members. And then also fill that gap for the conference where like now they're doing a virtual conference, but we still were able to do, we're doing it at night. So from six to nine every day while the conference is happening during the day. But for me, so many Excel spreadsheets, so many things like putting everything into um, secession. Like I am a big, I'm that person that when you go into an interview and they're just like, what is your weakness? And I'm like, um, I try really hard and I'm really organized because I, my anxiety and my people pleasing skills like come in handy for work because I like in the history of my career, like I never have gotten that feedback that I haven't like 
me a, de- me a deadline that I like dropped the ball. Like it's legitimately, unless it's like something happened that was literally out of my control, like a pandemic <laughs> ruining an event. It's like never been my, like I, I triple quadruple check my word because I have such anxiety that something bad is going to happen. I'm that person that will copy and paste a number or a figure into an email so that I know for a hundred percent that it wasn't messed up. So this, like the last couple of weeks have just been so much planning. Like I had to like do, get all this like zoom stuff set up and we're doing it in a live Facebook group. So it was like getting zoom to go live. And like my boss had never done that. So it was like doing that. We did a, a um, happy hour, like a karaoke happy hour on Friday night. So I was like DJing and manning that as like still doing like the work every day. So it really has been like just all hands on deck, but like, I really do thrive in chaos. Like I don't get overwhelmed very quickly. And even when I do it's, I just have to like acknowledge it and then keep it pushing. Like, I'm just like, huh, this is annoying. All this stuff is happening at once. Okay. My mind immediately goes into like step one, step two, like, what can I get like done the quickest? Like what can happen? Like on um thursday i had a virtual meeting plan i i never have meetings because it's literally just me and my boss that work for and we like i all my meetings like kind of go through her and like whatever and i had a two-hour block on my calendar as soon as the meeting started all of these things started going wrong and i was getting emails i was getting facebook messages i was getting text messages my boss trying to call me and i was like what is happening and i was just like okay. Like I literally took like maybe two or three minutes to get like a little bit overwhelmed. And then I just go straight into like crisis mode. And I'm like, okay, such and such, hold on. We need to put this call on pause for like 10 minutes. I have to do this. Go, I'm taking my email. I'm doing this. I'm calling this. But like, I just am immediately able to prioritize so quickly. And again, I like, even though I did not go into engineering and business, like my training in both of those fields and just like my work that I had to do is so, it was so, um, it's so processes based because when you're doing like physics or you're doing anything, you can't just go from like zero to a hundred. You have to go through all the steps to get to the answer or to get to the problem. Like doing a ton of like math, like differential equations, like those things. It, I feel like it gives you that, um, that sense of, Mm, what is the word? I, I guess it kind of makes you okay with the ambiguity of like a situation because it's fake numbers. It's like a put, it's like a fake process. It's a fake um, option. And then you have to still attack it like it's real and come mm-hmm. to a, come to the right answer. Cause there is a right answer, but everything else is made up, but there's still, you still have to come to that option. And I think that that pro like I'm, I've never brought that whole thing full circle until right now, but I really do think that that's why I'm able to really get through a lot of the day-to-day things and even just like the big crisis events like this also like coming from a family of five and a single mom and being the person I was going to bring that up that a hundred percent plays into it because I'm like like I said before like I and just as like in my writing like I've always had to be the person to just be on it and so when everyone else around me was like losing it I was always the stoic like person that like was able to just like cut my emotions off and I can like go cry about it later in my room in the dark like that's 
that's kind of how I am. So yeah, that I definitely have seen like in my, in this situation, like I've never worked, like I wasn't in the workforce when like the um, 2008 like crash happened, like the, that I wasn't like working when 9-11, like I was a kid, I was in fourth grade. I remember what happened, but I wasn't, so like I've never been in like a, like a position like this where something's a global catastrophe is happening and how seeing how it affects everyone on the same levels and how it trickles down and being actually like someone in a position to be able to not only be working and doing things but also be like like thriving in it and then also bringing like good feeling and like a good opportunities to the people around me because like we had a a Skype a Zoom karaoke on Friday it was only like 15 people in our group but it was everyone was just like I needed this and I was like I don't think I've smiled this much in weeks because I've been stressed like the first week of my quarantine I was waiting for myself to get a speed like I had strep throat so I got strep throat on Saturday after I had gotten sick yeah so I literally had a fever I was like tired like I had all this and so I like and then my boss was like oh yeah I have a fever I have this like I'm sick and luckily for me it was like I had the fever I looked I looked I had the sore throat. I looked in the mirror. I could see all the like grossness in the back of my throat. I called my doctor. They're like, you're fine. But my anxiety was so high. But like, I didn't take a personal day. I was literally worrying. I'm like, there are literally people on ventilators. Like there are people like my roommate was laid off. Like there's people working through a lot less than what I'm dealing with. But that like karaoke, I was like, I am like finally in a place where I feel like I will be okay through this. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but it was like a, such a joy to be able to like bring fit and it was like all black women, um, women of color in a space together to like feel free and like happy and like not be, I think it was probably like everyone say that this is like the first time in the last couple of weeks that they were not thinking about the coronavirus, that they were not in a panic, like they weren't grieving, like we're all having like such high stress on us every day that that was like the first time that like they were like I was actually able to like breathe and laugh and like not think about something so I was like that is like the small victories like I'm really excited um for the rest of the um, virtual conference that we're doing and like it's in the evening so people are able to like kick back like we made mocktails and cocktails and like are telling people to like bring those out or whatever just like it's a moment in time where everyone is together and you don't have to feel like you're being judged for not being like hyper vigilant like you're in your home you're on zoom like you're on facebook live you're just watching this happen and you don't have to think about like what is going on outside because you can't control that and you can actually be in this space like which is a super supportive like safe space because it is a group for um black for women of color um fundraisers and people in the social sector to just talk about it and like the social sector is hurting like a lot of people are getting yeah. hurt like a lot of people are, are like a lot of like donate don't donors are like cutting out they're just like um we don't even know where we're going to be so we're not giving you money so we're trying to build that space like that protective space so people are like okay things are very ambiguous like my job is up in the air whatever i can still be in this space and um enrich and like improve myself even in a really dark time so that was a long spiel, but yeah. <laughs> no, but that's beautiful. And I think, you know, back to what you were saying about, especially I'm also the oldest child, the, I don't know why I said oldest, but the oldest <laughs> child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when you're the eldest and you don't have 
parents that are doing everything for you and you have to learn to like solve problems on your own, Mm -hmm. it really does, I mean, for sure, make life a little bit more anxiety inducing. However, it teaches you how to prioritize and it teaches you, I think, what is also um, present in your engineering degree, which is systems thinking. And this is something I just Mm -hmm. talked to my good friend Ryan about where we were having a conversation about our abilities to sort of pull together different problems across an organization and bring those together for a solution. Like instead of needing to be the person that's coming with a solution and just listening Mm -hmm. to everybody and where they're at and what their problems and just different like uh, pain points are and then bring that all together. And I think a lot of that comes from growing up and being very curious But then also, I was the oldest, but then also the oldest of a bunch of cousins. So my mom was always on me like, hey, all your cousins are looking up to you. So you need to make decisions Mm -hmm. that you would be okay with them making. Mm -hmm. And then like my dad worked a lot growing up. So he wasn't really home. Like there were years where he was out of like out of town for eight months out of the year working. So it was just my mom, my brother and I. Mm -hmm. And then every other weekend I'd be at my dad's house, my other dad's house. And like by the time I was 11 or 12, he couldn't come pick me up anymore because he'd gone back to school and was working. And so I had to figure out how to take trains on my own because Mm -hmm. nobody ever rode with me and went like, oh, here's how you take a train. It was Mm -hmm. like, well, we'll drop you off at Santa Clarita station when you get to Union Station, find an adult in a uniform and figure out how to transfer to a train that takes you to Orange County. Mm-hmm. Oh my <laughs> so, god! Like, I know, which I can't imagine. Like, can you imagine time, now a- parents doing that? Like, I mean, yes, I because it's safer. I think they do it. I guess they do it now. But I'm like, I, you just, I just like am immediately thinking of like helicopter parents and like that idea. It just sounds so scary. And even me, like I talk about my non-existent all kids all the time. I'm just like, um, you could never think that I would let my kids do this. But I'm like, it, it's like you get those life experiences that, like you said, it go, plays a big part of who you are, like your trajectory. Yeah. And it teaches you independence and confidence in your independence, which I think is really, Mm -hmm. really important for girls and women to have because otherwise people really at least the way that was when I was growing up and where I grew up, like I had a wood, two different wood shop teachers and an auto shop teacher who wouldn't let the girls touch any of the equipment. Yeah. So are you like, serious? Like yes. in and I'm not that old. Like what? And like, what were you graded on then? Like how you looked at it? Like what? Like our quizzes. I remember in seventh grade, there were boys that were allowed to use the machines. So we would have to sit with them and tell them like, oh, here's the marks that I, and like, here's where I want it to be sawed. Stop. Yeah. Oh my God. And then in That's auto so shop, different. like we never had to demonstrate our knowledge. We just would be like quizzed. But then like when it came to actually working on the cars, they would be like, oh, just come here, watch him do it. Mm-mm. Yeah. No good. So I think, well, and my mom was really, really protective. Mm -hmm. So like I wasn't allowed to ride my bike off our street ever. Like I wasn't allowed to ever, even as a teenager, like all through high school, go to a friend's house unless my mom had spoken to their parents on the phone. So Mm. I think her letting me take the train was truly uh, just her hate for driving 
like was overpowered. Yeah, yes. overpowered. He's like, what do I hate more, driving or like letting my daughter have freedom? Apparently, driving because she's driving. gonna she's gonna get on that train. Definitely, and I think it was one of the things when she and my dad were like sorting out their boundaries of like co-parenting and uh what's the word when you're sharing a child whatever that word is co-parenting but oh custody custody yeah it was the agreement was that he would do the drive so when he was like i could no Uh, longer do the drive instead of her being like fine i'll meet you halfway no i think she thought my dad would be like no our daughter's not getting on the train and then my dad was like fine put her on the train thinking that she wouldn't actually put me on the train and then she did put me on the train and then you showed up like Hey, right. Exactly. Two trains and a bus here. What's up? Totally. But I think, I think it is safer now because a, like I still take the train around LA and there are way more people at union station and way more security at union station than there used to be. Yeah. Which is nice. And, um, and there's just like, before it was just very wild. Like you could just go and people like people would be hanging out there all day like, mm-hmm. people would definitely be, like, selling drugs in Union Station, like, and on the train and stuff. And so, and we didn't have phones. Like, I didn't get a phone yep. until I was, maybe I was 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it was, like, three years of, like, one parent calling the other and being, like, she's supposed to be there, whatever. And, like, me having changed for a call box when I got to the train station mm-hmm. to let them know what time the second train, because I had to transfer at Union Station. So, yeah, it was just very, but now, like, whenever I travel in other countries or, like, whenever I'm in cities that are mainly off public transportation and I'm with friends, they're always, like, like, I've had friends that will legitimately be, like, wait, when did you live in New York? And I'm, like, no, I never lived in New York. I've just been coming here my whole life. And also, like, I've taken trains for forever. (laughs) You're, like, I'm experienced. Yeah, like, this is not my first rodeo with, like, a major city. Yeah, it's very, watching people get on public transportation for the first time is hilarious. And it's just so like, sad because it is so uh, scary. It is. It is very scary. But it's re- I was on, when I was in college, I went, me and a friend visited um, our, our sorority sisters in Boston and we had to take, have you ever been to Boston? One time. So we had to take the train to, um, actually this is, you will probably know because we had to take it to the um uh the stadium the boston red sox stadium to go to the um the house of blues for a concert and we were got dropped off at um i lived in boston for three years but so but before that this is when we did that and we had to take the train from downtown and we had to transfer and it was like the different lines of like the red to the orange and the green i was like what's going on and i had taken trains and buses because i was from buffalo but it was Buffalo's train system is literally one train and you go and you just like stop like it's a straight shot. The buses mm-hmm. are a little wild. So I know the buses, but I was like, oh, this train system is really hard. And we literally had to like, we had phones, we had Google Maps, we had everything. We still didn't know how to get to where we need to get. And we had to <laughs> ask multiple people and we're standing. Oh, we were actually not downtown. We were at Quincy Market and we were just like, what the heck are we doing? Like, where are we going? And it seemed like it was completely like scat, like no one was there. And it was like every like third person we would walk up to didn't speak English. And we were just like, we're going to be late to the concert. Which is like, shocking to me because Boston is so white. 
Yeah, Boston is so white, but in <laughs> Quincy Market, Quincy Market is the big um, tourist place. So it was a t- I didn't know that time, but now like having lived there for three years, it was the worst place to be to ask people because literally no one was from there because we were standing there and we ended up like cuddling with another group of girls that didn't know where they were going. And then, oh, that's so sweet. Like, yeah. And some like a random dude, it wasn't even a police officer. It was like some random, I remember this, it was like some random hot ass black dude. And we were just like, Hey, can you help us? And he was so nice. And I was like foaming at the mouth because he was so attractive, but also was just like so and he had a, a Boston accent. So I was like, this is so weird. But we anyway, we ended up getting there. But my friend had never been on the train. And then the two girls we found out were going on the same trains as us and they had never been on a train. So me experiencing like for all of them this situation of like having to maneuver having to like talk to strangers which you're told not to do <laughs> and mm-hmm. then get there was amazing and then we ended up having the same problem because we had to get from the um, Red Sox Stadium back to the Quincy Market area to like go to bars and stuff to the financial district and it was the same thing but that was where we found all the white people because that's where everyone <laughs> in Boston goes out for parties and stuff and so we ended up going there but yeah it was funny but yeah the whole the, when I lived in Boston, learning like that kids literally take the train in for like kindergarten and first grade, I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. Because like, again, in Buffalo, you get bused everywhere until you have to go to high school, unless you go to like a private high school and then sometimes they bus. But for the most part, you take, um, they get a bus, um, a like cheese bus, like yellow bus until you're um you go to high school and so when they were telling us that and this woman was like oh yeah my little my son has a phone so that he can talk to me and like let me know and I have tracking because they would all all the parents would have tracking on their phone so that if anything happened but it's like you literally send your kid with like their little (laughs) uh lunch box in first grade to hop on the train and they're just like boop 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 and it was yeah it's very wild I can't imagine because also there's so many kids that like myself included as a kid, like child through teenager through early twenties, there's so many weird and like traumatizing things that happen probably especially as a girl that happen on public transportation that I just never told anyone about. Cause I was like, well, I wasn't kidnapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like nothing, nothing mm-hmm. necessarily reportable or that I could prove happened, but like this scary situation and like the time somebody just sat next to me and started touching my leg and like just things like that where you're like, well, my phone would still show that I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to call my mom and be like, hey, some yep. guy is like touching my knee on the bus because what mm-hmm. good is that going to do? Like I still need to go to school. Yep. Like it is just very... I still wouldn't like, I just wouldn't feel comfortable up until my kid was probably like 11 or 12, or at least like Mm -hmm. looked like they need to be taller. (laughs) Like if I had a short 12 year old, I would be like, no, 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 I'm coming with you. Yes. That's I'm like, I don't want that. I, I, it's so funny because my friends are like, you sound like you're going to be the most helicopter mom ever because I I'm just like um in my kids I would never let them do my kids I like everything I'm just like no 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 and then it's like what are you gonna let your kids do I'm like nothing like 
nothing. I'm my mom used to say all the time. She's like, you think you are slick. You think you can get one over on me, but I've done it all, which is funny because I did a lot of stuff my mom never knew about. But like my mom growing <laughs> up in the 70s, she was like a hippie. Sm- she always used to love being like, I used to smoke weed. I used to get out of the house. But I'm like, mom, you lived in a suburb. Like your mom was a stay at home mom who didn't like care what you did. And my, my grandfather was like always gone. So I'm like, I'm not surprised that you were just like out in the woods smoking weed all day like come on like what (laughs) but I'm like I'm like oh no the stuff that I did I'm like my kid will know like I know what you're doing yeah I think there's a big difference though between being a helicopter parent and being protective and Mm -hmm. and having like kind of strict rules because a helicopter parent to me is like the same kind of parent that's filling out their kids college applications and sitting over their shoulder while they're doing homework and stuff. Whereas I I like definitely believe in kids having free time and like not being at a sport all the time and learning how to like make their own day when no one is there to like make sure they have entertainment without a screen. Mm -hmm. Like that's really important to me, Mm -hmm. but I think it's also important for kids to learn how to do stuff on their own. Like Mm -hmm. I would very much be of the camp of that's like, okay, well it's your homework. And if you want my help, I'll help you. If you care enough to have me double check your work, I can walk you through Mm -hmm. any mistakes you may have made but I'm not going to sit here and make sure that your homework is correct because you need to care about that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully like I still haven't figured out really because I was my, the way I was raised was so fear-based and very religious. So mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with like, you know, just not sinning and like being a good Christian and being a good example to non-believers that I don't mm-hmm. really know how to teach somebody how to be a good person without the infrastructure of religion. Because I remember thinking at like six or seven years old, like other kids who didn't go to church, I was like, why don't they just do whatever they want? Like what incentive is there to be a good person? And even now, sometimes I question (laughs) it. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. But I would have no problem like scamming a company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's not even talk about how many scamming ways. I'm like, my friends know to come to me if they're trying to. Yeah. I have almost been banned by Drizzly. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) Do you ever listen to Scam Goddess? No. Oh my God, you have to. It's hosted by Lacey Mosley. And somebody on Twitter recommended it to me because I was lamenting the like non-existence of new episodes from, because I used to like be obsessed with uh, Two Dope Queens, So Many White Guys, and Pop Rocket. Mm -hmm. And none of those exist anymore, or they're just not doing any new episodes for a while now. And so I was like, I need something funny to listen to that's not like a comedian just trying to like flex their comedy muscles. Mm -hmm. Because that to me is like not the same. And somebody was like, you have to listen to Scam Goddess. And it's so good. And Lacey's so funny. And the scams are amazing. And like, I love it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Really? Okay, let me let me write it down. Also, I will say my scamming for Drizzly was literally me just using a bunch of emails to get the um five dollar oh, off that's the top. Fine. I thought you were <laughs> over here being like my wine wasn't delivered. Oh my god, no, 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 no. <laughs> I use scam very loosely because it's like a very like level A like scam. Like it's not or I guess like if you want to say like A is the highest, it's like a level like H. The entry level. Like, yeah, it's a very entry level scam, but it's more than most people do. Like people you talk to, they're just like, oh I paid a full price. I'm like I, where's like, are you rich? Off coupon. Like, 
I have not paid full price for something in like my entire existence. Like, what are no. you talking about? Like, I forever. But yeah, I used a, um, <clears throat> I literally used an email and I tried to get wine ordered and they sent me an email being like, Tiffany, we have noticed that you have created multiple accounts um, with multiple emails to utilize our like new user coupon. If you do this, like we have suspended all of your other emails. So if you try to order wine again, like with a different email, like you will be banned from the website. Did you and tell I them like, to sponsor my podcast? No, I literally was just like, I was laughing because I was like, when I was in a depression in 2016, I like single-handedly probably kept them in business. I ordered so much wine in Boston. I was like, I deserve a once every like five orders a free, uh, or not even free, a $5 off coupon to get the free shipping or like the free I mean delivery. honestly you should have challenged their lack of customer loyal loyalty like yes, subscription I was policy. like if you check back I was one of the first early adopters of Drizzly and I always tell people about it but I didn't even respond because I was just like damn I was caught like you know that situation where you're just like I'm caught I was like oh I can't even come back but now because this was like a couple of months ago because every time I get a new I've had a lot of job turnover just because I've been doing like random freelancing stuff or I like worked for a job and I didn't like it for like six months and then I was just like okay bye um <clears throat> but um if I had a new email I would just be like <laughs> like I can get a free delivery and because I do like social and I have a podcast like I have like 10 emails yeah same. So I'm just like oh I have a new email let me get that free five dollar off and then they called but I was like I mean it's been like five years so I guess now y'all finally got the 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 you got the rub like I guess you just like got one over on me but yeah somebody wants to make sure that they feel uh useful at work <laughs> Oh, 100%. I was like, you are doing way too much. I'm like, this is a person who is probably on Twitter right now behind a troll account with like an egg emoji being like, why are you criticizing billionaires? They don't run our country. They don't owe people PPEs or N95 masks. That's them. Yeah, I they're imagine they there. have like search setting alerts to certain yep. words and they're like Perfect. the fans that come after you for using certain words. Yep. They're like, do you even know what woke means? And then you have to block them. I, exactly. I legitimately was like, imagine being at work and seeing someone trying to live their life and get a five a five dollar off because sometimes their delivery is more than five dollars. So all I'm trying to do is get the $5 off. I'm not taking away from the company. I'm not taking away from their partner. And I'm not taking away from the delivery because I mean from the driver because I tip. I use the money that I get on the $5 for free to give to the um, delivery. So imagine you at work and seeing me trying to scam in peace and you feel the need to flag it and send me a reprimanded email. That was like the wildest day. And I was at work too. And I was cackling. My laugh was, it was so crazy, which is funny because the job that I was at that was so toxic, I got in trouble for laughing. That's a story for another day. <sighs> but um, I was cackling at work to which they were like, what's happening? And I was like, nothing. But I just like, just know I was 
la- I probably laughed for a good 20 minutes and I was crying because I was like, oh, sure. the day has come that I have been called out for my multiple email <laughs> usage. Um, that's beautiful <laughs> I love I that I feel like I had to share that because I was like let's not get it twisted I'm not definitely not taking advantage of them but also it's a funny story and I'm nothing if not a person who loves to tell a good story Ask oh me too I tell too many I am a storyteller I will I want you to feel <laughs> everything I will be like it smells like crisp laundry <laughs> and this is how it was and this is what I was cooking and I was listening to Kanye or I was listening to Drake and then I got this email I've like my friends I always tell I'm just like are you ready and then if they're on their phone I'm like I can't I can't continue because you have yeah to you're be, not going to appreciate this to be with me and then everyone yes. is like so now I know why you write or why you wanted to do like and I'm just like yes you know because I can I can set a scene. You can paint a picture and you know that it's a good enough picture that you've painted that people should really savor your story. Mm-hmm. And people will lose things if you speak. Like I've seen people not catch jokes right off the bat and then they're missing the next joke already. Mm-hmm. But when it's written down, you can really take it at your own pace, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And then go like there are certain lines. My cousin and I both do this that like we will catch certain phrases or lines or whatever from books or TV shows or whatever it may be and like write them down and save them because they're so good. There was one from like one of Picasso's wives where she was talking about how a friend warned her that like Picasso was a horrible choice and that he was a catastrophe. Mm. What she responded with, oh, was she said, I told her she was probably right, but I felt it was the kind of catastrophe I didn't want to avoid. Ooh. Yes. I a like woman that. After my own heart. Yes. Oh my God. As a woman that loves chaos and consistently puts myself in terrible situations with men, we have to stand. Yes. <laughs> and I also, I will, if I get invited to something normal, I'm probably not going. But like, exactly. if I get invited if to something weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be like, ooh, certainly a good story will come out of this. A hundred percent. When I lived in Boston, I would drag my friends to the weirdest shit. And, like, I didn't have a ton of friends in Boston because it's a very – Boston compared to New York City, it is very hard to find a community there. Yes. Um, especially as a Black woman, especially as someone who did not go to school there. Because most people don't just, like, move to Boston for work. They either have already lived there or they – <clears throat> or they went to school there and then they started working there and then even if you move there for work everyone who you work with still has all of their own friends so it's like you kind of like I made like a couple friends but like my co- my one co-worker was like my best friend and like I would drag like I dragged her to like this random thing I wanted to take DJ classes so they had like an open um night where you could just like come and view the studio and like do all this random shit there were like people doing like talks and like singing and then they're like random djs and like video equipment like it was so wild and then like i brought her to like a drake versus kanye party one time like she's so lucky to have you thank you and but like she loved it but i'm like i would tell my friends and they're like what are you doing and i'm like there was i have this i will i'm like ripped to this there was there was a drake versus kanye party and it was literally they had drake cardboard cutout faces (laughs) i had that thing for like four years and I like only lost it because 
when I moved or no three years because when I moved back to Buffalo it got all like messed up in my like shipping stuff and so it was like I couldn't salvage it but I had it forever and everyone would be like what is it I'm like let me tell you about the best party that I've ever gone to in Boston (laughs) and then I would just like tell them they're just like what is your life and I'm like I don't know because I don't do a lot but when I do it it's like to the nth degree it's like you're never gonna see me at like a random just like I'm sitting here and I'm bored. Like, I'm like, if I'm going to go out to something, I need to be thoroughly entertained and it needs to be. It needs to be worth it. It needs to be worth it. Exactly. Cause I am that person where I'm like an extroverted introvert. Like I will like go out and like party all weekend. And then literally the rest of the week, just be like a hermit. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I'm so tired. Like it's so cliche, but I'm like, that is, that is me. Cause I'm always like, I'm an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. And then I'm outside too long. And I'm just like, Oh, I want to go home. I think that I'm an extrovert with the right people. Like if somebody's Mm. energy brings it out in me and I don't have to worry about them and I don't feel like I have to tread lightly on, on whatever. Like if I don't feel like I have to monitor what I'm saying or maybe adjust the way I speak or whatever it is to Mm -hmm. like what is uh, palatable to them. And they also bring a certain level of energy and like banter then we could hang for days and I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like we could just like, You're right. I, yeah. And so, yeah. but then with other people, like there's certain people I have a 20 minute conversation with and I'm like, Oh, I need a nap. I don't remember. Yes. Oh is. my God. And then you're just like sitting there like, uh, this is the worst. <laughs> well, and I feel bad because sometimes it's even people I care about, but I just find them draining where mm-hmm. I'm like, I love you. You're a good friend of mine. I really care about you, mm-hmm. but I am drained every time we spend time together. And so yeah. it's tricky because that person hasn't done anything wrong. It's just an energy thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it becomes difficult. I will say one great thing about quarantining is not receiving requests to hang out. And mm-hmm. I feel bad because I hate FaceTiming. Like I know we're on Zoom right now, but there's a mm-hmm. point to it. Like it's something yeah. productive. Yeah. And so I feel bad because I have friends that have been like, let's FaceTime that I'm like, I just don't do that. Like, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I do it with my cousin, like maybe three times a year, but she uh-huh. and I are very, very close. Uh-huh. And she's also fine with me being like on the phone for three and a half minutes and then being like, okay, bye. But I just really, <laughs> I don't like holding my phone is largely yeah. what it is. There's a bunch of other stuff I want to do. Like, why can't we just talk? Like I have Bluetooth headphones. I can be doing stuff around the house while we catch up because when mm-hmm. I have friends over, I'll be like, great, come over while I clean. <laughs> like, like I That's need things funny. to be like multi-purpose or like, if you're going to come over, let's come over and make coffee and we can go on a long walk because I don't want to just sit here. Necess- like, unless mm-hmm. it's like very entertaining. Like I, there was somebody I was seeing briefly and he was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And I was like, yeah, you have a car. Because I was living in Seattle and I didn't have a car up there. And I was like, great, you have a car. Come scoop me and like take me to Goodwill because I have a bunch of stuff I need to donate. And then we can go to the grocery yes. and do all these other things. <laughs> like, you can run my errands with me. Yeah, I was going to say, <clears throat> you can just like take me to run my errands and we can call it a date. <laughs> a yeah, because we're still catching up. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the difference if we're doing that sitting in your car or sitting at a coffee shop? facts I like I like your reasoning see I'm like a someone like I love doing nothing Mm. I I have learned to embrace it but it's hard for me (sighs) I love it so much have you read um that book the year of sleep no I haven't but it sounds relatable it is like I can't I know the woman's name is Moshe and 
I she's like they're actually who what is her name um Margot Robbie is developing like a show around it but it's literally this woman and her like insane attempt to just like sleep for a year and get like oh the year of rest of and relaxation a year of rest of, that's what it is it is so good I listened to the uh, audiobook of it and it had me dying like it was because de- it felt like a podcast writing it down please read it it is legitimately this woman is like figuring out how many drugs she can take so it will knock her out for like the most amount of sleep oh my gosh I'm not gonna give anything else away but like that is like the premise of it like she just wants to like sleep and like we'll do everything just to sleep and it is I want to get like the physical hard copy because I got it on audible but it's like amazing book but I'm just like every I'm just like that sounds so wonderful and it was like she had like this money so she didn't have to work and so it was literally she could just sleep all the time and I was like the privilege that this has like I was like how she pay rent (laughs) no it was literally oh she has a a apartment that her parents like she has it like paid for Mm. so it's one of those like insanely privileged situations where it was like oh she has an apartment in, and it was in new york city so she has an apartment in new york city where she everything is paid for whatever and then like she gets like money like an inheritance or something and she like what a waste lived, rent out your I apartment know. and go somewhere shitty <laughs> yeah, a trailer right? if you're gonna sleep true i i agree true there's like a lot of fault with it but like the overall premise i was like wow i wish i could do that when i was on unemployment it kind of felt like that because i was like so depressed to be unemployed and then i had like this measly ass check coming in so i really couldn't do anything other than pay rent and buy groceries and so i would just like sleep all the time and then like wake up to apply for jobs and then like go to sleep again (laughs) just yeah it was like a habit but I was like no it's a it's a really really good book I was like it I like tell her I did this I was like starting this thing like where I would like put all the books that I was reading on um Instagram and this one let's talk about it and I started a book club recently um but I like I want my book club to read it even though I've read it already because it's that good like I'm like I have one last question for you. Yes. What is something that you would like to hear a future episode of this podcast about? Ooh, hmm. that's a tough one. I I haven't dabbled in a couple, so that's why I was like, well, you can list a couple. We've rambled about other things. We can ramble about this. I know. (laughs) Um, I would really love to hear. I'm trying to think like what is like very time specific. Ooh, maybe if you spoke to like some healthcare professionals like mental health and even just like nur- like a nurse or like doctor or something. Probably after this pandemic. I don't imagine they'll after, have ample yes. time to be Oh my God, duh. Oh my God. Or maybe like <laughs> some, true. Oh my God. It's like, let's get to like know what they're doing. But I guess like someone that is like not, I actually, I would like to hear from a mental health professional about just like the fallout from dealing with the pandemic. And I think that like Mm -hmm. things that I have read right now is like how we're literally going through stages of grief and people don't have that language and like how to deal with it. And it's like when you have a mental illness and like having anxiety, I'm like, I'm y'all, I'm good. I know what's going on. I'm flight or flight. I'm like, this is a problem. Like I'm taking my meds every day. I'm popping some things during the day to get me through. But it's like people that don't, (laughs) they're having panic, like they're having all of these different physical reactions and mental Mm -hmm. health 
And so that would be cool. Just like people that are in the back. Cause I have seen things where like doctors or like people are like saying like, we want to get the truth out, but yeah. And then also, so something along the lines of like a mental health professional, I think that would be really cool. And then also just something that's like fun, like a really comedian or What's something. What's fun? I literally, a few weeks ago, I like, I can't remember what it was. Somebody said something about hobbies or, and, and I literally, my brain blanked and I Googled what are fun things that people do with their <laughs> friends. <laughs> But we all are like our brains are broken because we all think that we need to be productive all the time and that things that are productive we need to make money from. I got into skincare just because I was really interested in it and I wanted to like be able to work with brands, like did not think about money at all, and then was literally so got so out of it because I just was like, this is like a job. Like I don't want to be like fighting not fighting but like competing with other like skincare micro influencers for like something and like worrying about why my pictures aren't getting liked so I'm like fuck this like I'm just gonna go like read a book like honestly I started oh, your skin looks book. great Thank you. I'm not wearing any makeup, so that I really can say that. Um, I did my skincare routine earlier because I went. Well, I do it all the time, but I like have I have like some SPF on because I went and sat in the sun for like 20 minutes. Um, but I would love to hear. Ooh, maybe like uh, like yeah. Let's think about like hobbies, like a a like a writer. I mean, I I was a little bit, but like only a section. But like maybe like a chef or like a someone cook. Everyone is co- a baker. Everyone is baking. Everyone is baking. Everyone is baking. I'm about to make some banana bread tomorrow. I might make a full ass loaf of bread just out of pure loneliness. Also, I think that that's a lovely thing to do. You know what? I would love to hear. Let's talk to someone. You let's you talk to someone about digital dating right now because your girl Mm. is going through it. Being single (laughs) sucks. We don't have to put this on the podcast, but oh, for we real, will. I would love, <laughs> I, I have been spiraling on Twitter, being a hundred percent single right now and just like perusing and like having like a one-off conversation with a dude and just being like, when is the next time I'm going to be like physically intimate with someone is a real mm-hmm. thing right now. And it's like, having it's very responsible friends, of you to not. Oh, I'm a hundred percent not. I like, I had a little rendezvous the week before everything happens. And I'm like, thank God, because who knows the next time I will have that opportunity. Like it's going to be months. And also I'm slowly turning into an agoraphobe. So I'm afraid that I'm not going to want to leave my house when this is all over. Like I have to go pick up my anxiety medication like tomorrow and I'm dreading it. I'm so scared to go to Walgreens, but it's supposed to rain. So my crazy ass is like, I can go when it's pouring down rain because literally no one else will be at Walgreens. So I have- Nobody else will be there. Yeah. The rain, I feel like, will take the virus out of the air. Exactly. (laughs) Like it has to come and I'm 100% going to be wearing, oh, you don't even want to see me. I'm going to have my gloves. I I have not taken anything away from the actual healthcare providers that they need. Like I said before, the mask that I have is one that I bought last year. And then I just have my winter gloves. So I'm just going to go <laughs> in my winter gloves and mask, get my stuff, and then go. I'm hoping and praying that they have restocked on Lysol and things, which I want to talk about the supply chain of when 
people are going to stop being idiots and bulk buying. You need one bottle of Lysol and maybe two or three Lysol wipes if you need them. There's no reason every store should be out of cleaning products. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I've just made a mixture. Yeah, I mean, I just sent a mixture uh, or I made a mixture of like rubbing alcohol and water and it was spray bottle because I happen to have rubbing alcohol. And that way I'm not taking away from the supply from someone who maybe doesn't know how to do that or doesn't have the time or whatever. And I've just been carrying that around with me. And I had some leftover, like rubbing alcohol in those little packets from like, like I, uh, the doctor gave them to me like a few months ago or oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it came in like a 50 pack and I only needed to use like 10. And so I have all the leftovers. So I've been using it on my phone like a few times a day. Oh, nice. Nice. I literally wish I had realized that all of the cleaning products would have been gone because I had a left like I just had like half a thing of Lysol wipes when I came back from New York City so I was just using those and now I'm down to one <laughs> but ah! we have a half we have half a bottle of Lysol and we have like a little bit of ammonia that I'm going to use to make a little con- ammonia and water situation Good. but I'm like I would just love to be able to have a Lysol wipe like I like I have always have a Lysol wipes on hand just for me because that's how like I always disinfect and like do everything in my room at least once a week anyway mm-hmm. but now I'm just like it's so much easier to be able to sanitize your phone and your computer and your desk with a wipe and not like spraying it and like having to go through that whole situation but I'm like let me not complain yes. <laughs> yeah exactly that's well, that. thank you so much where would you like people to find you on the internet Thank you. Um, you can find me on everything at Tiff from the Six, T I F F R O M the Six, number six, um, on Twitter and Instagram. Follow your girl. Let's talk skincare. Beautiful. Writing, books, anything, everything. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I know that was long. We rambled quite a bit. I cut out quite a few of my own rants. Uh, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. In addition to Alana Massey, I also recommend following and looking up Ava Racinos. She helped me a lot with just understanding how to pitch. And so hopefully maybe either one or both of them will be on this podcast in the future. They are linked In the description of this episode, along with a few other people that I recommend following and who Tiffany mentioned, be sure to subscribe to and follow Tiffany to learn when Spill It goes live. I'm really excited for listeners to hear it. Also, again, please support this podcast by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts, following at BTS the podcast on socials, joining the BTS Facebook group. Well, not BTS. That's the K-pop group, which is great. If you want to join their Facebook group, by all means do. But there is a BTS podcast listeners and guest group. So um, I would always love for people to be in there. You can submit questions, etc., topics, whatever you'd like. And again, you can become a monthly supporter via anchor at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, or just shoot me some Venmo. I'll never say no. It's just at Lene-Cook. Again, sign up for Hotel Tonight using LCook61 and we'll both save out our next stays at hotels. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it.